How's everybody doing? Man, what an amazing morning already. I mean, just like Dave said, just to, to collectively sing uh, Great is Your Faithfulness and, and wrap our hearts uh, around uh, our Savior and, and what God's doing. Man, it's just, it's just amazing. Um, and just last week, it was, it was breathtaking. One of the things that was really cool about uh, doing a beach gathering, which we've done a lot of those, it's funny, people do say, hey, we should do that every week. We, you know, we could save a lot of money, no building. I mean, this is, you know, price per square foot right here. Um, but man, every, it's funny, we've done that so many times. It is, if you knew the miracle of pulling off, like the, the things that aren't working, like while y'all are walking down onto the beach, like, I mean, it could be us standing there just yelling at you with no sound, no nothing. Generators like, you know, shutting off and we're just like, just go. We've got people surrounding the generator going, Dear Heavenly Father, please run the entire service. You know, it's just like, it is, it is a miracle, but it is so worth it because we watched, I don't remember who it was, I think it was Seth McNew was counting the people that were like, after we kind of cranked up and Dave had gone up and, you know, done announcements, the people that were just kind of wandering up. And he's like, I quit counting after 75 people, like the people that just kind of stayed and they stayed for the, the whole thing and, and heard the gospel. And you know, we exist to invite anyone and everyone into the unending ocean of grace that comes through Jesus. And man, what, how does that sit in the center of our mission to, to, to move out of a place where there's a lot of people that just won't come in here just because it says church. Um, but there's a whole lot of people that will wander up at the beach and, and lend an ear and go, what's going on here? What are these, what's drawing all these people down onto the beach um, for a, an amazing, amazing morning. So it was, it was amazing. If you got your Bible, turn me to Luke chapter 15, an amazing passage in Scripture. If you haven't been with us over the last few weeks, we're in the return series. We started out with this idea of returning to the Word and the overall idea in the return series. I mean, underneath the covers, maybe it's, it's a little bit about this idea that we're, we've been somewhere in 2020 and we're returning to something hopefully in 2021. We've got people that are slowly and steadily coming back to church and in many ways, we are trying to remember some of the things that we lost. That we, I don't think we even realize now some of the things that, that we lost in, in, uh, physically in the world, but also spiritually. And for us to look and see the things that, that God's doing and what it is that we need to return to beyond the idea of physically returning to church. So we did return to the Word of God, which I think in our culture is something that we need to do. We, we did return to Jerusalem as we hit Palm Sunday. Last week's pretty easy, return from the dead. We had Easter, which is fantastic. Um, and this week is return to the Father in Luke chapter 15. And, you know, I was thinking, you know, last year about this time, um, it was right before uh, the pandemic hit, Beth and I went to marriage counseling. Now, I know people, when they hear that, like the pastor needs marriage counseling. Why are we here listening to him? You know, we're trying to get our stuff sorted out. Um, but we, we believe, and people have told us, right when we were getting ready to plant the church, when we got into ministry, I've been doing this for about 15 years, been doing the OCC thing for about 10. And somebody said, you're not gonna, if you don't get into counseling now, you're not gonna make it. And I, I, I tell people that 18 months of like discipleship counseling we did the very front end when we just had like nine people um, planting Ocean City Church, it wouldn't have happened without it. Like I thought, oh, I didn't need counseling, talk to some guy about whatever, you know, that I don't know. And I mean, it changed my life. He became one of my friends. I cried every week. I mean, it was fantastic. But it really, he, he preached the gospel to me and my wife the entire time. So we've really gotten into this idea of even when things aren't like falling apart, you should see somebody that's objective, that's a Christian, 
that has the gospel exploding in their heart. I really think that's important with counseling. Some people say, I go to, you know, I go to counseling. I'm, I want to ask that question. Do they love Jesus? And are they going to preach the gospel to you while they're counseling you? I think that's vitally important. So anyway, that's, that's all beside the point. So we're, we're in counseling. And this, the first session with this guy was a new counselor. Uh, he wants to know our story. Like, he's like, I want to know your story of getting together, the whole, the whole thing. And of course, my wife's like, yeah, this is going to be great. Um, and I'm thinking, I want to give the short, but I talk a lot anyway. And we got together when we were 12. Like, we started to know each other at 12 years old. I know, that's like hillbilly. Y'all are like, man, that's crazy. Uh, we were just 12 years old. And so I said, it's a long, man. I'll just kind of go through the, you know, the highlights and we'll just move on. He's like, no, 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 no. We're going we're gonna to get into this thing. We have some time. You're here for a while. Um, we're going to get into this thing. So we started telling our story and he just started drawing out things and, and giving them titles, like things that, that, like parts of our relationship that we didn't, you know, we thought about, but you know, there was one, I think I've told this story, the balcony moment where we were in high school, she came in, we weren't dating and I would just wait for her. I would be late to class every day. She would roll in, she'd look up at me and go, hey, and I'd be like, hey, and then I'd go back into class. It was just kind of this thing where we started to realize you know, you, me, you, me, you know, is this going to happen? And, uh, you know, he just said, you need more balcony moments in your relationship. Started to kind of pin these things. And we just, and my, I remember at one moment in counseling, Beth's just looking at me and I'm just like, and she's, she's just like, I love you, you know? And I'm just like, and we've been together for 25 years and we do love each other, but, you know, it was more like, I like you. Like I've forgotten. I mean, I don't know if, you've, if you're married in here, you do forget sometimes in the daily grind that you like the person. You know what I'm saying? It's like, if you thought marriage was going to rescue you, it's very quickly along the road, you realize, oh, he is not a savior in any way, shape or form. It's just, it's, I mean, I knew I wasn't going to be Prince Charming. You know, the things you hope he's going to be, he's not going to be. Very big disappointment I am. But then you meet Jesus and things get better in your marriage. But she looked at me and just like, balcony. And we just, we've been, it's been the thing, you know, you need to give me some more balcony moments, baby. You know, that's the thing, like coining it. And when it comes to this idea of returning to God, there is something that we forget along the way in our relationships. And God uses the marriage relationship to give us a beautiful picture of what our relationship with God is supposed to be like. For us, it's like this routine, this religion, this antiseptic thing where we walk into church, we drink our latte, we hear a message, but it sometimes lacks the idea that this is a passionate, this is a relationship that you have with someone. You're the creator, the one that loves you more than anyone, and you have to remember, what, what was the journey? How did I end up in a relationship with God? And for, for, for maybe some, somebody here, you've never even thought of it that way. You're, you're, you've come in and you're trying to figure it out. You're trying to figure out, what, you know, what's, is there a spiritual dimension to life? You haven't even gotten to the place of understanding. No, this is a relationship. The thing that Jesus did when he died on the cross and, and gave away his life and bled into the soil at Calvary, the thing that he was, he was doing as he was paying for your sin and exchanging the great exchange, exchanging his righteous life for your sinful life and taking on your sinful life and bringing it down to the grave and defeating death, he was reuniting you. He was reuniting you with the Father that you might have a relationship with him. And for me and for you, there's something about remembering that and understanding and knowing that there is a story. Like for some of us, I think we grow up in the Southeast and we just kind of drift into what we call church people. And you don't, you don't even, you can't even identify when was I, when was the, when did I wake up? When did the gospel hit me? When did my eye, when was I, did I realize I was lost and now I'm found? I was dead and now I'm alive. 
And that, that could be a season, that could be a year's journey, that could be in an instant. I know that's some of your stories. It's like the Apostle Paul. But there is a story. We all have a story of grace. We all have a story of grace to tell. And I think for us, it's so helpful to go through passages like Luke chapter 15, the story of lost things where Jesus is talking about this idea of what's been lost and what needs to be found. We often think the story is about the lost things, about the lost sons, about the lost coin, a lost sheep, but it's really about the finder. It's really about the relentless pursuit, the person that's lifting up the furniture. If you, if you know this, Jesus is talking in, in parables, kind of explaining to them the gospel. And there's two groups of people that are, that are listening in. There's the highly religious and then there's the, the sinful people, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the, the broken people. And sinners included, but you know, back then the idea of sinners would include, that would be people that are sick, people that are diseased, people that are blind, because they just considered, hey, you must be a sinner. This must be why you've been lame since birth. This must be why you have a, a deformity physically is because you're a sinner. So there was a lot of people in that category, the outsiders, the rejects, the people that couldn't get inside the temple system at all. And then you had the Pharisees and the scribes, the people that thought they had it all together, the righteous people. And Jesus comes along with these these stories to indicate this idea of the relentless pursuit of a loving father and what he would give away to go after just one sheep, even though he still had the 99, the 99 righteous ones that stayed home. He would give up everything to go after the one, the lost coins, the, ten, the woman that had the 10 coins. She loses one. She's turning over furniture, throwing things down, trying to find his, I will find my last coin, the 10th coin. You know, you, you get this picture of the relentless pursuit. But then it goes into the story of two sons. And for us, I think, we often think about the story of the prodigal son. You think about a prodigal, you know? And it's always about some guy you knew in high school. Man, Freddie, he was a mess, you know? <laughs> Coke addict, you know, he, was, he ran his life. I mean, he was the guy. When you think about the story of the prodigal son, somebody's spending their life and just blowing everything. Every time people give them a chance, it's, you know, Freddie, man, he just he went into rehab and it didn't work out. And we think of somebody else as the prodigal. But this story is about all of us. It is about you, it is about me. We all, like sheep, have gone astray and turned and done our own thing and turned to our own way. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us are, this story is about, it's not about Freddie, it's about you, it is about me. There's nobody in here. And that's, that's why you've got these two audiences that Jesus is speaking to, the ones that think they've got a shot with God and the ones that know they don't have a shot with God. So if you got your Bible, in Luke chapter 15, We've got the first two stories, which I summarized, but I want to just look at this idea of what it looks like to return to the Father. Your, your lifetime return, the moment that you woke up and you became a Christian, you should, you should recall that, but also the daily return. Because it's not like all of a sudden you're saved and life's great and you never are going to make another mistake. You're never going to walk away from God. You're never going to worship another idol. When I say idol, I mean you're never going to find something that you put in a position higher than God. That's a daily battle for your pastor. So there's the daily return and then there's a lifetime return. And we'll, we'll have some, some things and some words that we can maybe wrap around that. But in verse 11, it's Jesus. Jesus continues to tell the story. He talks about the lost sheep and going after the one. He talks about the lost coins and going after the one. He says, there was a man who had two sons the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. So he did it. 
Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and he set off for a distant country. And then there he squandered his wealth and wild living. And after he had spent everything there, spent everything, there was a severe famine in, in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. Oh, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but you can make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He's interrupted at that point. The father says to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf, kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. It was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate and party. And I know the story continues and talks about the older brother, which would be the other more righteous one in the story. But I want to kind of move through this projection. You know, you've got, if you, if you back up, you've got to, to, to understand this parable that it's not just about, you know, your friend from high school that blew his life up, but it's about you. You've got to understand what it says at the very beginning in verse one. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. He's, he's making sure that the, both audiences understand this. And along the way, as he's telling the story, you can imagine the Pharisees are, they're just waiting as the sun blows. Like, what's it going to look like? What is repentance for the sun going to look like? What is it going to look like for him to, to get back to the Father? And they're thinking, get him, Jesus. You know, he's going to get it. This guy's going to get it. Most scholars say, this telling of these parables are, are, are what got Jesus crucified. Like this is what incited the ones that had built their life on a completely different gospel, the law gospel, believing that they could do enough, believing that they could, they could organize their life enough, that they could know enough scripture, that they could do enough Bible studies, that they could have enough quiet time, that they could go on enough mission trips, that they could do enough stuff to get back into the good graces of the Father. And here comes Jesus saying to this prodigal that was none of those things, welcome home. Not only that, blowing away the expectations, throwing a party for that son. And then offending them more by showing the picture of the older son that stands outside the party and doesn't, doesn't wanna go in. They're thinking, that's us. He's talking about us. Angry, and they are angry. But you see these common return themes throughout this passage. And if I were you, this is one thing that you should do and practice just, in, just 
to get your brain wrapped around this. And you, you don't have to do it today, but maybe write these down. But if you, if you journal, if you don't, you should journal. I, I wasn't a journaler until about you know, 10 or 15 years ago and, and started doing it. I go back and look at those journals. They don't mean much in, like in the moment. Sometimes you're just writing like, you know, I prayed to God today, you know, or I did this and this is happening. You know, my kids are driving me crazy. This is, it, you know, stuff like that. And you go back and you read them and you see the story of God in your life and the redemptive stuff that he's doing as you go back. But this would be something to put in your journal to grab a hold of maybe these five things and, and say, where was I in this? How do I identify myself in my story? Where's your balcony moment? You want to identify those throughout your, your story of redemption. And if, if you're trying to figure out, hey, maybe I haven't, maybe I'm not there yet. This has just been religion to me, or I'm just trying to discover. Then lean in and listen, because these are the things, this is this is the beauty of the gospel. Maybe you thought this was all about cleaning yourself up and coming to church and trying to figure out how I can be a better person. I need to get my kids in church with better friends. They're, you know, just in with the wrong crew at Fletcher, just tearing it up and doing whatever. We're going to get them in a youth group. And you've come to church thinking it's, you know, let's clean it up. We'll get them close to, you know, the church people. But you'll realize that in here, I just want to let you know, we're the messed up people. We're the sinners and we're the tax collectors. You know, we're, we're, we're the broken people. We're the ones that need counseling. So as, as you look at this, the first theme that you see here is the rebel heart. Every one of us has the rebel heart. Every one of us has the tendency of the younger son that says, I want what I want. I mean, it's the essence of the Garden of Eden, right? It's what happened in the Garden of Eden. You've got two good chapters, one and two, relationship with God, relationship with the Father, the creator of the universe. There's this beautiful, wonderful relationship with Adam and Eve and God. And then all of a sudden, enemy comes in and says, you could be your own boss. He's lied to you. You should take what's yours and you should do what you want to do. You will be like God. And that's where sin happens. They want to be the captain of their own ship. We want to do it our way. Frank Sinatra, right? I did it my way. And all of a sudden, everything goes south. Two angels at the east end of the Garden of Eden and boop, they're booted out. This is the moment where the prodigal son takes his stuff from his father. We all have this rebel heart. Like I said in the beginning, all of us are like the sheep that have gone astray. All of us have turned to our own way. We all need to understand this. I think sometimes we grow up in church and we grow up in youth group, we grow up in whatever, and we're not, we, we compare ourselves to the cocaine addict Freddie that we remember in high school, and we don't think that we're all that bad. And we think, I've been pretty good. You know, yes, I said the prayer, Jesus saved my soul, he died on the cross for my sins. We've said it so many times that we don't even understand that it's about a relationship. You know, several years ago, I'll probably get canceled for this story, but um, several years ago, when I lived in Riverside, my wife, uh, was cruising around um, Riverside and, and she saw a it, a, it was just one of those scenes where if you, you'd have to admit to yourself, there, there's something, it does something to your gut. She saw it was a six foot three transvestite with a banana yellow skirt on like one, like one outfit, just in high heels digging in the dumpster and was just filthy. Like you could tell just, just in a bad place in life. And there was just this kind of Here's my life and there's, this is this person's life and I'm looking at them and I'm thinking, gosh, that is so sad. And she said, that's what you're thinking. You're thinking, gosh, this is, this is a heartbreaking. You talk about being as far from somebody wanting to wrap their arms around somebody as you get. 
like the, the most lonely moment and picture that you could see. And just kind of that sick feeling in your stomach. If you would want to admit to yourself, you know, like the, the, the banana yellow skirt, the transvestite, the, the digging in the trash, all of those things. And she said in, in a moment, she said she felt the Holy Spirit just come over her with conviction. And God spoke to her, not, not audibly, but in that moment, God said, that was you when I found you. This was you when I found you. And she said her immediate reaction in her mind was, no, I was with my stuffed animals and I was with my mom on my bed when I said the prayer. And this is where, and God was like, no, your heart, you, you don't understand your rebel heart, but you will one day. And as life moves on, and if we could really play the, the, the video in our mind of the things that we've thought, the, the places we've gone just in our mind and in our heart with other people, then we know that we are the prodigal, that we do have a rebel heart. And we, we do it in moments, we do it in, in, in our lifetime, but there's the momentary rebellion where we stand our ground, where we want what we want when we want it, where we walk away from God willingly. We might not say something to somebody, but we know it when we rebel, when we say, this is more important to me than my relationship with God. We do it in moments and there's always a rebel heart right before the run happens, which is the second one. There's the run. This is the season where we think that our, our plan's working, where things are clicking. We're on the run. We've taken the stuff and we're living life and things are fine. We've got all that we need. You know, we might be in church, but in terms of needing church, it's just kind of a good idea, just the bolt on Jesus kind of thing. I mean, I imagine there's somebody here that's thinking like, hey, I, this is all fine and well, Derek, but I'm, I'm, I'm good. Like, I don't, I mean, this idea of returning to, to the Father, I've been in church, I got a great family, you know, I support the troops, I got good stuff, my house is nice, you know, things are good, I'm, I'm successful in my job, you know, I got a lot of stuff that I'm doing that's, that's fine, you know, keep preaching, it's great, I'm, it's good for you, you know, this emotional connection to the Father, but I'm good, I'm fine, and you're on the run, and you don't even know that you're on the run. There's somebody in here that's on the run, but you're on the run in the dark. You, you, you've got everything on the outside looks great. You know, you're in church this morning and you're in church, but in the dark behind the, behind the door that you don't want anybody to open, you're on the run and it's working for you now. Pornography addiction. Nobody knows about it. It's in the dark. It's on your phone or wherever it is. But you're on the run. You think I can cover it? It's not a big deal. You, you think, and I, you know, I haven't really ever, ever been able to kick this, but it's small enough now. It's a little infant now. What does James say? That baby, that baby's name is death and it will take you down. It will come to the surface. It will ruin your life. It will dismantle your family. It will destroy everything that is around you. But in, in the moment you think, it's fine. I got this. I got this. I can do this. I can handle this. You're on the run. And I'll tell you this, God lets you run sometimes. In God's grace, he will let you exhaust yourself. Sometimes there's no other way. In Romans 1, it says that. In futility, he subjected the world to futility. Why? In hope, right? He releases you sometimes, says, all right. The father says, all right, take all the stuff, go off to the foreign country, keep running. And this, I mean, you can, you can paint the picture of this guy. He had people all around him. 
Things are clicking, money going, doing his thing. Got lots of friends when you got lots of daddy's inheritance and you're doing stuff and people are all around paying, you know, taking, picking up the tab, doing all the stuff. Things are good. Life is good. And it will for a season. It will sustain you. It will, you'll, you'll feel like it's okay. But eventually what will happen is the third thing. And you should recognize these in your life. And these should be, a, all of us have these in some way or another as a part of our story if, we, if we're a follower of Jesus. But the third thing is the wall. This right here is the end of the run. And everybody hits it. You might not think it, but if you live long enough on planet earth, you're gonna bleed. Something will stop you in your tracks. As good as you maybe have made life for yourself, there's going to be a law. And there's the big walls that we know. Like I think there's the ones, that, the ones with Freddie, the cocaine addict. Like we know that that one's going to end. We can all see it. Freddie doesn't know it, but we all see it from the outside. He's going down. And we don't relate to that because that's not us. And then there's the other wall of the person that succeeded so much beyond us. Like, again, we're, we're in, I'm not many famous people in here. We're just medium, right? Uh, I'm kidding. You are some beautiful, wonderful people. I'm sure some of you are going to be successful in life. But I'm talking about like Matthew McConaughey fame. I'm talking about like you, you are famous and you run that money train. You're as famous as you get. We know that story in that wall. I've gotten all the money. I've gotten all the fame. I've done it all. And what does it mean? Just like Solomon said, it's, it's nothing. It means nothing. I'm still empty inside. There's still an existential itch. I, I can't get enough. It keeps going and going and going until there's the wall. There's the crash. There's Freddie Mercury who had everything that he wanted to have. And at the end, he's like, He's like, I don't have the one thing that I want, which is a loving, committed relationship. I've never had it. And it's all I've ever wanted. Millions of adoring fans. And it doesn't fill the gap. We know those walls, but then there's all of us in the middle. And our wall, what does our wall look like? I mean, for some of us, it's sickness and tragedy. I can't tell you, and this is not the way that you want to be woken up, but it does happen for people like an illness or a tragedy. I mean, there's stuff going on in our church right now where I can tell you tragedies have got opened people's eyes and the, the people's relationship with God has sprung to life in the midst of death because of the wall of tragedy. And that might be your story. It might be happening right now and you might be wanting to run again, but God is drawing you in. Now you're finally hearing his voice for the first time. You're now believing for the first time that he's a loving heavenly father that desires to be with you. I, I can tell you there's people in this room that have succeeded, that have gotten everything that they could possibly want, have great, wonderful lives, wonderful families, and can tell you that they've been completely depressed, unhappy and brokenhearted and lost in that place and space. Testimony after testimony after testimony. We will hit the wall. We all need to hit this wall. And the people around you, usually when you hit the wall and you finally wake up, there's a whole lot of people that, that knew you were headed there. Like they knew way before, <laughs> before you did, you know? I mean, the, the wife is never caught by surprise when the husband comes home and says, hey, you know those three hunting buddies I got? They, they, were, they are not good for me. They are not good for our marriage. They, we, the stuff we've done on the weekends, the things that are happening, what, what, what it's the road it's brought me down. These these guys just, I don't know what it is, but we've, we've been hunting together. This is not, it's just not been good. She's not going to go, really? I didn't know. 
No, she's going to probably go, that's so great. Thank you so much for saying. She's probably going to go in the kitchen and go, God, we've been praying. You know, she's, she's known. She's known. You know, the kid that says, you know, mom, you know, I, you know, Sally, I realized she wasn't good for me. She was bad. You know, I know y'all said some things along the way. Really? Sally? Psycho Sally? We had no idea. <laughs> if your name is Sally, I am so sorry. That is, I should never even use it. It should be a different name. Um, people know. But the return doesn't happen without the wall. This is the humbling moment we all need to get to in, in, our, in our repentant faith, in our story. We've got to understand the rebel heart. We've got to understand that at some point we are running away from God, but we also need to understand that the wall is not God's punitive nature because the punitive nature of God was laid on Jesus. The wall is usually our own stuff. You know, we live in a sinful world and there is consequences. I mean, if you rob a liquor store, what do I say? You might go down in a hall of, you know, a hail of bullets. It's not God's fault. It's your stupidity. But the wall, we need to understand the wall in this moment to have, to, to get to that place of empty where my run that I thought was so great is now over. And then there's the plan. And there's some good repentance in the plan. There's some good things in the plan. And you see it in this story. He, met, he hatches a plan. What's he do? He's eating pig pods and he's like, bing, the wall happens. Light goes on. He's like, all right, I got to have a plan. I'm going to go back to dad and I'm going to, I'm going to ask for forgiveness. And I'm, I'm, I know I can't ever be a son again, but I can be a servant. I can live in the servants quarters and it's better than the pig pods. I'm going to hatch a plan. I mean, we all are plan, plan makers. I mean, we, when, we, when we get cold busted, when it happens, the wall happens, we all start making a plan. I mean, the high schoolers in here, you know, plan, like you are out and mom and dad know what happened. And they, it's like, and you start hatching the plan. You're like, you tell you, we're going to tell you, we got the story straight. We're going to go home. We were going to see a Disney movie and we ended up at Freddie's house. And that's what happened. We all, we know the plan. We know how we hatch, hatch a plan. My friend Brock Johnson, who's also a missionary uh, in Africa, um, he, he said when his life was falling apart, he was a sports agent. He was actually a front office negotiator for the Jacksonville Jaguars, actually when they did, you know, have some good draft picks. Um, they're actually going to have a really good one coming up. Come on, Jags. Duval, you're excited. But he, uh, when his, his life blew up, like just being in that world, you know, ended up um, being a sports agent. And that just the Jerry Maguire life just dismantled his life. Um, and then it, when his marriage was falling apart, you know, family was falling apart. He said he can, he, this is one of the most tightly wound organized guys you'll meet. Like he's fun loving, but he is organized. I imagine he, this guy right here is pretty organized too. All right. Just to do what they've done in terms of organizational management to, to spread the gospel is incredible just to see. But he came up with something called LIP, L-I-P, Life Improvement Plan. And he, he had it written down. He's still got it today. And he's, he'll give, he's, he's given talks on it. Just the idea, I'm going to fix my life. I'm going to fix this. And I just want to let you know that we are not going to resurrect our own lives. We are not going to bring ourselves back from the dead. You will try and try and try and try to get back, to do the right thing, to be the Pharisee that gets back in the good graces of God. But, but don't come up with your own resurrection plan. Leave that to the one who knows the way home from the dead. And the last thing that we see here 
as we look at the prodigal son, it's outrageous grace. You know, Tim Keller calls this story the story of the prodigal God because the, the definition of prodigal is someone that is recklessly extravagant, having spent everything which we always lay on the son. But really, it's, it's the father in the story and what he gave up that made him recklessly extravagant, having spent everything to come after you, to do everything that needed to be done to come after you. And I always think about the, just the outrageous grace that it, that's on display in this story. This unending ocean of grace that we talk about, this extravagance that was so offensive. This story is so scandalous. In their culture, what they would have been experiencing just listening to Jesus tell this story, I mean, there was, it was a jaw-dropping picture that he was painting. I mean, you've got a son, if a son asked for his inheritance, he would be considered dead to the family and to the township. Like the, the, everybody would be like, okay, he's dead to the town. He's dead to the family. He's, he's dead. He's out. That's it. It would be a horrible offense. It would be like him saying to his father, I wish you were dead. I mean, people are just, it's, it's an angering thing. And the son leaves. And then all of a sudden, for him to come back, the chances of him even getting past the town gate there would be a reckoning with just the people that lived because you had all these patriarchs in these towns that kind of ran the joint. Like they were the ones that were respected, the highly respected ones. I mean, he wouldn't even have made it back to his house. There would have been people that would have stopped him and said, no, you need to turn around and leave. But before he even gets to the town gate, before he even gets, while he's still far away, he's still far off, he can't even see the father the most extraordinary thing happens. And in that culture, it would have been, it, it just wouldn't have happened. Everybody's thinking, listening to the story. Because a father, a patriarch of his status with wealth, a landowner that had inheritance to give, would not be taking off his sandals. That would be disrespectful in public to just kick him off. To, he would have to run. I mean, this is Robland. I mean, they, they're, just not, they're not wearing, you know, Olympic shorts. He's, pulling up the robe, he's gonna tuck it in and he's gonna start sprinting. And the servants are going, I mean, cause it's just, it's dishonoring for the father to do it. He's running. He sees the son and he's sprinting. And it, even in that moment, I think that just to, to think of that for you, I don't know what kind of father you grew up with or what your situation or your circumstance is, but I think that's speaking to you in this moment because you know what I want? I want a father that would run to me no matter what I did with unconditional love to say, I don't care what anybody thinks, that's my son or that's my daughter. And he's sprinting, dishonoring himself, they're like, we can see his thigh. And he gets to him outside the city gates before anybody even has a chance to stop him. And I just see this picture of just him just lifting him up. He's telling us, he's got, Dad, I know. And the kid's probably thinking he's getting ready to just tackle me and beat me. I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. And he's getting ready. He's trying to get the rest of his speech out. He's got his plan. 
before he can even say it. Father's like, servants, ring, coat, steak, now. He's so excited, tears. I mean, just the embrace. of a father, a good father, not the broken fathers I know that, that exist in this room, but a good father, the one in our heart we all understand, even though I don't know that anybody's really had a perfect picture of a perfect father. We, we innately know that what that should look like. And here we've got this beautiful picture of the, the good father that we're gonna throw a party. Lionel Richie's coming. You know, it's going to be all night long. It's what we want in our heart of hearts. It's what we're looking for. Can we walk through our story and see the redemptive drawing and finding and chasing and relentless pursuit of our heart in our story? Do we know we need to remember those balcony moments? We need to turn to our heavenly father. I remember why I love you so much. You know what's crazy about this story? Because I think everybody that's in the audience and everybody that's listening to the story and, and going through it, they're thinking, this, this is ridiculous. There's got to be payment. Who's, gonna pay, who's paying for this? This is too ridiculous. This, this has to cost him something. But there's an intentional thing that's going on in the story. There's a missing element in the story. And if you haven't realized it, like where, where's Jesus in the story? He's the one telling the story. He's the missing older brother going to give away his life in order for the younger brother to come home. And if you don't think it costs anything, just look at the cross. Just look at the cross of Jesus Christ. If you don't think it costs anything to reconcile you and me to the Father that loves us, you look at the blood that was poured out on Calvary. The anthem that we've been singing this this echoing of, of grace that has been shouting from every mountaintop for over 2,000 years is the cross of Jesus Christ, is the blood poured out for you. And I don't know where you've come from or what your story is. But if you thought that church, Christianity is about religion, hopefully in these moments by the power of of the Spirit of God and by the truth of His Word that you know that it's about a heavenly Father that loved you so much that He gave His one and only Son that you could be reconciled to Him for eternity. And for those of us that the minute by minute rebellion that we have, the, the remembrance that we have, it's the reason we do the sacraments, it's the reason we have baptisms and we do communion, is that we would look up, not as a religious thing, but we would our hearts would be drawn into that relationship once again, which I need that. And away from religion, because that doesn't save anybody. 
God's speaking to, to many people right now. Maybe you've hit the wall. Maybe you're making a plan. Maybe you just hadn't even woken up to the idea that you're a rebel in need of a savior. God's speaking in the room right now. And just as we respond, the band's gonna come up. And just as we respond, this is that moment. I just, you know, Dave mentioned that we're gonna have baptisms. I think there's somebody in here that maybe this is, you, you've, you are tracking, like you're, you're in here, you're, you're going through the stuff. You're like, woo, I remember the rebel heart. Woo, I remember, oh, I remember the run. I just, the run was just recently passed. I definitely remember the wall. I've made a lot of plans. Maybe you're, maybe today or maybe recently you've experienced the outrageous grace that God's poured out on you, but you've never been baptized. Maybe you, maybe you've, this has been a long season. Maybe this journey in church, you're tracking along and you were the one that's like, man, I gave my life to Jesus. You know, I was on the, you know, with the teddy bears with mom and, but God's woken me up in the last year, woken me up in the last six months to the depth of the gospel. And I've never really been baptized as a believer. I would say, man, come, come talk to me and just say, I wanna be baptized. Come talk to Dave today and say, I wanna be baptized. And then, uh, you know, if, if you leave here and you say, I didn't say anything, go, to, go fill out the application and say, I wanna be baptized. Because everybody, there, there's people that will be here that need to, to hear your story. They need to see that the, the, the echo and the, the amplification of your salvation will rescue others. It will reverberate in this room and out these doors. And it's an obedient thing. Like if you've not been baptized, you should be baptized. If you're a follower of Jesus, be baptized. Tell your story. Man, what an opportunity to just stand in front of the church and tell your story. I can't tell you how many times we've done this and somebody that was listening heard that story and that becomes a part of their story of them hitting the wall and them turning back for home and becoming a believer. Let's stand together. God, we just thank you for the gospel. We thank you for your amazing grace that never gets old, that we need to remember, that we need to wrap our hearts around every, each and every minute of the day. Just come Holy Spirit, continue to move.